missed shot by Chucky. And there's the ball game. The Huskers win it. Final score in overtime. Nebraska 80, Wisconsin 72. And another court struggle. Storm that court. Just storm that puppy. Just listen to it. So awesome. <laughs> oh my God, I'm not going to make it this year. I'm not either. How about that? Huskers fortify PBA yet again, defeating number six Wisconsin in overtime, 80 to 72. Hello, everybody, and welcome in again to the Scarlet Shootaround podcast. My name is Blake here with co host Mike. Always got to bring the uh, special intros in anytime we get a top 10 win like that. Didn't ever expect it to have two uh, in the same season, Mike, but here we are. Huskers get it done again. Here we are. Um, saw a lot of Groundhog Day kind of memes, especially I think my brother sent me one. Because, uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of kind of seeing the same thing over again with the Purdue game, but uh, against Wisconsin this time. What what a what a game. I, I mean, last night, obviously, we did the live and, and we were riding high and uh, the rule of thumb we gave ourselves was until midnight. And then we got to bring it back down and kind of key in a little bit again. Not too high, not too low. Right. So um, but it's it's. It was just an amazing game, uh, and I couldn't be more proud of the guys for for the performance they put on and, and the way to dig deep coming out of the out of halftime and, and make a way and, and find a way to get it done. So we've got a lot to talk about and share this episode. We will have a special guest, T3 Bracketology, joining us later in the show for an interview uh, talking about where the Huskers are on the bubble, what their tournament prospects look like. Very excited to hear what he has to say, so we'll get into that later. But first, let's break down this Husker game, Mike. It starts and ends with the hero, the best story of the year for Husker basketball, C.J. Wiltshire. Goes for 22-1-3, and goes 7 of 10 from the field, 5 of 7 from deep. I mean, this hot streak he's on, Mike, is absolutely unheard of. His last five games, he is shooting 66% from behind the arc and 68% from the field. It's unheard of. Absolute flamethrower. And it's it's you love to see it because I know – you know, he had obviously had a rough season last season and, and a lot of people were kind of asking where the development was. And now we're seeing we're seeing it. And just, you know, credit obviously goes to CJ for sticking it out and and going through the grind and making it happen. But the dude is an absolute flamethrower right now. It's incredible. Um, he's He's got the ultimate green light. You know, you know, he does when um, he pulls up from the from the first National Bank logo with 25 seconds left on the shot clock. And I mean, he made it. It's a great shot if it goes in. Right. So. No, it's uh, what a, what a performance. I mean, I might as well just crown him Big Ten Sixth Man of the Year already at this point because the performances he's putting on night in and night out coming off the bench are incredible. And get this, Mike. Right now in Big Ten Conference play, he is shooting 57% from three points so far, 55% from the field, and he has the second highest offensive rating in the Big Ten, according to Ken Palm, amongst all qualified individual players. This guy is an absolute godsend for what and what we've been able to do this year. And he's been the leading charge in creating some of the amazing wins that we've had over the past, you know, five, six weeks or five, six games rather. Uh, Bryce Williams goes for 17, nine and two goes four of nine from the field hits two of his three, three point attempts. Uh, he ran the point guard spot a considerable amount in this one. Uh, he had five turnovers and, but he did have two steals and Mike, he rebounded well. He rebounded really well. And then, you talk about the the turnovers and the the steals. He also had a, a block, one on the stat sheet, another one that should have been a block. It went into the foul column instead. That just goes to the officiating. It was terrible both ways all night. It is what it is. 
But yeah, what a game. I love, as you mentioned, the rebounding from him. You expect to see that from, you know, one of your forwards. And I know they have him listed as a guard on the on the box score, but he really is a forward, let's be honest, a kind of a point forward almost at this point. But yeah, the, the way he he's going up to grab boards, we needed that, especially in this game. You know, it did help to have Gary back. He ended up, I think Gary played 33 minutes, which might be a little more than we'd hoped for, especially coming back from, you know, an injury. But uh I, we we needed Gary, but yeah, that's that's for another time. But Bryce played an amazing game. I love to see the rebounding and kind of a quiet seventeen points when you have Wilcher going off like that, you know. And Bryce Williams, in my mind, Mike, when he gets seven to eight rebounds, I really like our chances. And when he's paired with Gary on the floor in any kind of lineup with Mast, rebounding turns from a weakness into a strength. All of a sudden, it's something that we can use to our advantage. So obviously, Bryce Williams kind of the key. Uh, along with Gary, who we just mentioned, he went for a stat line of 9-4-1, going 3-6 of six from the field, did not hit one of his three three-point attempts. He, now, he is down to 31% from beyond the arc this year, but his defense was stellar on store, especially in the second half, and he had the best plus-minus of anybody on the Husker roster against Wisconsin, going plus 21. I think the, the biggest adjustment for me in the second half especially um, was, was Sam Hoiberg coming in and, and guarding Chucky Hepburn. Um, obviously, Bryce Williams guarding him a handful too still. But um, between between Sam guarding Chucky and then Jawan Gary guarding Store, once again, Bryce would help out on Store. You know, we we tend to switch a lot on defense anyways. But as the primary defender, Jawan Gary and his length and physicality just locked – I mean, I'm not going to say locked down Store. The dude had 28 points on the night. But he had, what, 23 of those in the first half. So um, an amazing job coming out of the halftime. The adjustments that the coaching staff made – to, to see what Wisconsin was doing and adjust our game plan um, speaks night and day. You know, they had 43 points in the first half. Wisconsin only scored 29 points in the second half at OT. So uh, just an amazing defensive job after the, after the break. Um, and I think a Jawan Gary was a big part of that for sure. Mast went for a stat line of 28 and three going eight of 18 from the field, hitting two of his eight three point attempts. So it took quite a few from beyond the arc. He had so many clutch shots in the second half there, Mike. So many shots that kept us in this thing. Obviously, the step back three, which apparently, as we talked about in the live episode last night, must be in his bag. I don't know where or if he practices. Does he practice that shot? I mean, I, he must because he's two for two shooting it. Uh, but not a great shooting night, especially in the first half for him in general, but really good overall from from uh, our Dutchman in this one. Yeah, like as you mentioned, some some really clutch buckets. The the step back's going to get the you know all the attention, but there were a couple possessions there in, in OT, especially kind of when we were trying to pull away and put the game away, where the the possession was kind of winding down, and we got it down to him, kind of in the in the block in the paint area, and he just makes a little jump hook, and it's kind of a it's kind of a bailout to be able to just throw it into the paint and have a guy make a make a move like that and make the shot. So incredible by rank, very clutch down the stretch. Um, needed him, needed everybody. This game, frankly, is obviously a team win. But the, the points always get the attention, but I think Josiah Alec and Sam Hoiberg on the defensive end, the energy they brought um, was just as vital. So great all-around effort from everybody on the team, frankly. Sam Hoiberg goes for a stat line of 3-4-2, hitting one of his two uh, shots from the field, uh, one of his two free-throw attempts. Mike, it was a signature Sam Hoiberg stat line. He added three steals and had a plus-minus of plus 14 only scoring three points. I mean, this is what the guy does. I think, and I think CJ said it in the in the post game. You know, some people are finally starting to recognize Sam Hoiberg and what he does on the defensive end, um, and it's great to see. I think we've been we've been talking about him for a couple of weeks now, and what he brings every time he's on the floor, it's just a boost of energy. He's I, I think he's probably our best 
guard defender. Um, and you just put him on, put him on whoever you're trying to shut down and he stays in front of them and he gets in their pocket and he does it without fouling is the important thing. So incredible. Yeah. As you said, just a classic Sam Hoiberg performance, a couple of times getting on the floor, you know, jumping out of bounds to save a ball, just all around great performance from him for sure. Obviously a stellar second half from the Huskers coming back to, I believe it was 18 or 19 point deficit. And I think, God, I had it written down somewhere. Wisconsin was 120 and 0 when leading by 15 or more at the half since 2000 until last night. What an unbelievable comeback performance from the Huskers. Fred Hoiberg had a really nice quote to share in the postgame presser. They do. I mean, the basketball guys, it's, you know, it's weird how they, you know, they reward you for making those types of plays. And, you know, our guys, you know, diving out of bounds, getting on the floor, those, uh, you know, winning the 50-50 battle against a team that's really hard to do that against. I thought they did it in the first half and, and we got them some in the second. And then when you have to expend as much energy coming back from 19 and then Klesman gets hot, he hits two threes and hits the runner to go up eight with under four and to find a way to get it back. You know, the human nature is to, well, we got back in it just, you know, one our night and then overtime, you know, went out and, uh, you know, just found a way against a great team. So just, you know, huge win, you know, got to bounce back, get back in the gym tomorrow, put a game plan together and, and hopefully go out and execute on the road. Wilcher and Mast also talked about some of the halftime adjustments that Fred made. Yeah, we, I mean, we kind of, we clapped and it was like, let's go. Like we was ready to go after that because he, he doesn't do that too often. You know what I mean? So um, obviously he has to take something for him to get there. So it did. And we, we needed it. it. We, yeah. we needed that little wake up. And if you have a coach that's normally pretty chill and then like he's super loud, it's like, uh, all right, let's go guys. Yeah. Well, Turnmast, in that quote, Mike, we're referring to Hoiberg uh, reports in that postgame press conference that he had a very heated and animated half-game speech to the team, maybe some uh, loud words used in that one. Well, how do you think that changed the mentality of this team going into the second half? I think it, I, I mean, I think it's a lot of the same thing that we heard from him, you know, during practice this week where he's balling up, you know, load management sheets and throwing them away. I think He's looking for some toughness out of this team. I think anybody that watched the game obviously saw that that wasn't there in the first half. Um, but the thing is, Fred got him to respond, um, obviously, in the second half. And, and whatever he did in halftime, whatever he told the guys, uh, it worked because they came out and they looked like a different team. I just want to say, you know, I noticed right before the start of the play in the second half, uh, we had our five guys out there. Jamarcus Lawrence gets everybody in a huddle, gets them zoned in, they get locked in and and – I think that was a really important thing. It's one thing for the coach to do it, but to see the players get together, huddle on the floor and lock in and key in, it kind of felt like at that point, if they still believed and they were locking in and they thought they weren't out of it, you know, I think it helped me believe that they could do it. And uh, as we saw, they, they pulled it off. So, And Mike, the crowd last night played a huge factor in this game uh, for the Huskers win. What an amazing turnout by the Huskers fans. It, there was deafening noise. Obviously, I was pretty close to the court for this game. It was absolutely deafening at its peak uh, of Husker momentum there. They obviously played Sandstorm, so we got to touch on that. Uh, for those that did not listen to the postgame uh, last night, they did play Sandstorm, so the movement was successful. So if you were not part of that, want to emphasize again, thank all of you for taking the time to write those emails. We changed a minuscule microcosm of Nebraska basketball, and all of it is owed to all of you uh, who took the time to make sure that that happened. And what an amazing atmosphere that was as well. So crowd played a fantastic role. Uh, Nebraska had nine steals on Wisconsin's 16 turnovers, which would account for seven unforced turnovers on Wisconsin side. And Mike, I think the crowd takes all the credit for it. 
definitely, definitely played a part. Some very uncharacteristic turnovers from Wisconsin. Um, and I think that for sure the crowd, the crowd probably helped um, the noise you'd mentioned when you're down there by the floor, it's, you know, two times louder than when you're up in the stands cheering. Cause just cause all the, all the sound is concentrated down onto the, onto the floor. And I'm sure that definitely helped uh, the defense at multiple points. So yeah, just an electric atmosphere. Like Blake said, shout out to everybody that sent those emails. You know, they played the sandstorm at the under 12 in the second half when the Huskers were clawing back and everybody stayed on their feet and was ready to go when the ball got inbounded again. And I think that was something special. It's great to keep the energy up, um, you know, through a media timeout like that over an extended period, you know, four minutes without play, but everybody stayed on their feet and was locked in and ready to go. Um, and I think it was just, it's it was just a great experience. And Fred had a quote to share in regards to the crowd experience in the Wisconsin game. Yeah, best, best, best environment I've seen since I've been here for sure. And it, uh, they absolutely were a huge part in that win. I think when CJ cut it to seven, when we finally got it under 10, you know, the roof blew off the place and then we just kept chipping away and finally get the lead uh, there late in the game. And, you know, again, our fans were phenomenal. It's great to share these with it. And I thought security did a really nice job of getting Wisconsin off the floor and, and protecting everybody. And, you know, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's great to share that with the fans. They've been a huge part of our home success this year. And what, again, what an awesome effort by the Husker fans and showing out and cheering for their team in this one, especially coming off a tough Maryland loss. But, Mike, rounding this uh, Wisconsin recap up, AP top 10 teams were 1,458-0 and zero when leading by 16-plus at halftime. The last time prior to last night uh, that situation happened was in January of 2002. So not just are we experiencing a historic season, but a historic game last night on a couple different aspects. No, as as I'd mentioned kind of in our, our live last night, you know, this is any way you slice it, this is a historic season for the Huskers. First time beating two top six teams since the 57-58 season, which was coached by Fred Hoiberg's grandpa. So in the family, that's just a crazy little stat. But yeah, a, a historic Nebraska season, a historic night last night. I I texted my brother this, you know. We're we're in the midst of a, a, a historic season, and I, we just need to enjoy the ride. It's there's been ups and downs, but this is what Nebraska basketball is about: um, the passion, the the highs, the lows. And thankfully, this season there's been more highs than lows. Um, so let's just keep this ball rolling and, and get on to Illinois, and hopefully, we can get another big win. So we've shared our thoughts. Let's hear from the Twitter users on the next segment here. So Husker fans, let's hear from you. So again, we shared all of our thoughts. We had a bunch of tweets come in for this one. Always fun uh, to hear your guys' interaction. If you want to take part in this, make sure you tweet uh, at Scar- Scarlet Shoot Pod on Twitter. We post a tweet after every final buzzer uh, asking for your thoughts so we can use them on the show. So if you'd like to partake in this segment, again, follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Podcast. But before we get into that, Mike, I believe you have a sponsor to share. Yes, I do. This segment is brought to you by Tax and Business Consultants, providing all the tax, accounting, payroll, and consulting that your business needs. They partner with you to specifically tailor strategies suited to you and your business. Committed to positive client outcomes since 1961, they've been relieving stress related to taxes in all forms. Their offices are located in Blair, Columbus, and Lyons, so give them a call at 402 426 4144 or visit their website at www.tbc.tax. That is T as in Tomanaga, B as in Bryce Williams, and C as in Coach Hoiberg.tax. Once again, that phone number is 402-426-4144. So give them a call and go Big Red. 
Always thanks to everybody over at Tax and Business Consultants. If you'd like to sponsor the show, shoot us a DM on Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Pod or an email at scarletshootaround at gmail.com. Okay, Mike, let's get into it. Chase Houston starts us off by saying Sandstorm was the difference. If CJ starts this game, we're not down 23 to 8 to start the game. How does Jawan still have the green light from deep? He's so much more effective in the paint. And Mike, I mentioned earlier, Jawan down to 31% shooting uh, from beyond the arc this year. I don't. He can hit the occasional three. It's obviously not his most effective shot, but I want to speak to the CJ point. And you talked about this, I think, last night in our uh, live post-game episode. CJ's thriving in his role. I think the last thing that we want to do is switch up the mojo he's got going. No, I agree. I think, you know, you want to talk about last season when he was in the starting role and everybody was very down on him. And, you know, rightfully so, he didn't have a great season last year. But it just seems that he's more comfortable coming off the bench, and there's nothing wrong with that. And... I agree with you. If if it's working, why change it? The dude is coming off the bench and he's lighting it up, shooting 60%. We don't need to change anything like that. Obviously, it's sometimes frustrating to see him not on the starting lineup, whatever, If especially with these, how good he's playing. But he's going to play starter minutes anyways. I mean, he played 30-plus minutes last night. Obviously, there's overtime, so the minutes are a little inflated. But he was in basically the entire second half and playing starter minutes, basically. It's just he feels more comfortable, seems to, coming off the bench, and that's what's working, so let's stick with it, in my opinion. Drew Urban says, team could have mailed it in, but they didn't. CJ freaking Wiltshire. Mast was huge late, as was Williams. Hoiberg was Hoiberg. Great team win. Can this comeback be a building block mentally to get over the hump on the road? Next two are tough. Awesome W, and they played Sandstorm. Again, awesome Sandstorm experience. I hope it continues, so thank you to Katie Coyle for uh, helping us make that happen after all these emails. But again, Mike, just what a great team win. Everybody played their role. Hoiberg did Hoiberg things. Wiltshire went off as a flamethrower as we've we've come to you know know him, know him as in Big Ten play. Uh, Williams made clutch free throws late. Mass hit hook shots as we've seen all year. I mean, everything that needed to go right to complete that comeback happened. Yeah, it's the the team played within themselves. And I think the big thing that stood out to me, especially in the – I mean, obviously defense – it starts on the defensive end and they really locked in and, and did their job on the defensive end. But when it came to the offensive end, you know, it's easy when you're down that much to fall in love with a three point goal. And don't get me wrong. CJ's threes definitely helped get us back in the game, but I noticed a lot of going to the basket um, at one point, you know, I think it was five or six zero on, on the fouls. Cause the Huskers were going at the hoop. We were, you know, instigating, we were driving the tempo, we were driving the game and, coming from a position where you're down that big to kind of take over the game. That's what you have to do to get back. And that only happens when everybody plays their position, plays their role and does their job. And that second half in overtime was a perfect example of what this team can be. If everybody just locks in and does what they need to do. Rob Mullen says Wiltshire equals the sixth man of the year in the big 10. And I'm not sure he isn't making a push for sixth man of the year in the country. And Mike, based on the numbers I just spoke to, like I said, first in, in the Big Ten Conference in three-point shooting and second in offensive overall ranking, I mean, Wiltshire is probably playing for sixth man of the year. Yeah, frankly. And it's not like he's a slouch on the defensive end either. He plays, you know, I would say above average defense. He, he stays in front of his guy pretty well. He's obviously good on the rotations. And obviously his offense speaks for itself. So, yeah, I mean, the stats, you, you can throw out all the stats, but let me tell you, the eye test says this might be the best guy coming off the bench anywhere in the country. And if teams haven't been noticing him in the previous two weeks, I'm sure they just got to notice last night seeing that game. He's got to be part of your game plan coming in to every game because the dude's liable to go off as we saw for 20 because he's just that good at shooting the ball. 
And I sure would hope shooting 66% from beyond the arc in your last five would stick out on a scouting report. But we'll see how Illinois decides to play us, I suppose. Uh, Huskin Fanatic says, beating the number one team could be considered lucky, but beating two top ten teams is a statement. Hopefully these two wins on a resume will erase any question marks left in people's minds about whether we should go dancing, hashtag GBR. And I think the biggest thing Nebraska has to prove is that we can go on the road and not just win a game, but if we're going to lose, lose close. I don't think, you know, it's it's necessarily something that the Huskers can't do. We've seen it at K-State. Now the K-State win is faltering a little bit as the Big 12 season progresses. I think Oklahoma went in there and, and stomped them at Bramlage, unfortunately, for our resume. But Huskers just need to find a way to take care of business at home. If we can win one of these next two lottery tickets, that, you know, that after winning this Wisconsin game, that's kind of what these next two have turned into. If we can find a way to win one of these lottery ticket games here at Illinois or Northwestern and take care of business the rest of the way, we are in the tournament. There's no question. Yeah, you're spot on. Win, win one of these next two, and it's a massive boost to the resume. I, and I guess I just want to ask you, obviously, these next two are the biggest games we have left, basically. Um, in your opinion, is it more important to win one of these next two or is it more important to avoid? I think we have three or four quad three opportunities um, for wins or losses because we got some, you know, lower half of the Big Ten teams coming to PBA. Is it more important to win one of these next two or avoid those four losses potentially? Well, I always lean more toward the positive side of things. I think once you get a quad one win, even like we talk about the K-State win, it's no longer a quad one, but it was thought of as a quad one for a long time amongst bracketologists and, and those types of people. I think wins are always better than losses, no matter how you slice it. I mean, you're looking at Northwestern, they're pushing themselves toward every bit of a, a six or seven seed in some circles because of the way they've been playing. But the Chicago State loss is still there, right? But look at what they're winning. The winning detracts from the losing. So I'd always take a quad one win over playing perfect down the stretch or whatever have you. But that being said, I think it's much more realistic that we probably drop both of these next two games obviously don't want to speak it into existence ever but I think the schedule sets up so nicely to finish five and two maybe even six and one after this little two-game road trip and if we do that and take care of business we're going to be in the tournament so that that's where I lean obviously I think we get another quad win it should in general build us enough of a safety bubble to get our way into the dance despite a bad loss so we'll see how everything turns out uh, Haley Kroll says Huskers fought so hard in the second half having Gary back was huge Mast struggled early, but his shots at the end were massive. Wiltshire has been fantastic this season. And again, I think we all kind of gloss over how amazingly clutch Rink Mast was in the second half. Obviously played a pretty horrific first half by most, if not all standards, but he hit every single shot that he needed to in the second half. I don't even know if he missed any of his last five or six attempts. Yeah, I uh, just, as I said earlier, just incredibly cl clutch down the stretch. You know, his jump hooks, his step back through even... His three beforehand, you know, he was out by the the Nebraska. I think he was standing in the panhandle of, of Nebraska when he hit that one um, down the stretch. And he he definitely – we needed every point, obviously, to, to force it to OT. So um, incredibly clutch. Love to see it from him. Love to have multiple guys we can go to when he needed a bucket. Scott Ritta says, huge win. Saw Eli Rice was in a walking boot on the bench. Haven't heard anything about that. Going to need him down the stretch. And I don't know if anybody even asked a question about Eli Rice in the postgame presser. I think the euphoria was a little bit excited. Um, I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going on with Eli Rice. I yet. believe I, Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think he just sprained his ankle is, is all it was. So, okay. so obviously um, nothing too serious that yeah, it sounds yeah. like. Hopefully, hopefully nothing too terrible. But that's, that's what I saw um, from the reports is just a sprained ankle. Okay, so hopefully then, you know, Rice might miss one or two of these games on the road trip, but hopefully it's nothing obviously too serious. We saw that Gary came back from this calf after, I think, a two-game exit. So 
obviously very important to make sure that Rice is healthy as we come down this this finishing stretch. And whether he plays or not at Illinois or Northwestern, I don't think is going to be the difference between a win or a loss. So let's just make sure that he gets healthy before we rush him back. Uh, Joel Schaefer says, gritty over pretty, different team with Gary, ability to go big, change the game. And what an interesting lineup that we threw out there that seemed to make such a world of difference, Mike, with Mast, Alec, and Gary playing the three. It looks like when that lineup was out there, the defensive intensity was fantastic. No, we we had something cooking with that lineup for sure. Um, and I think it helped secure rebounds. We didn't have much of a big rebounding problem in the second half, I know, especially with that big lineup in. We found something with that lineup. I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to work every game, but this this matchup against Wisconsin, it definitely was the lineup to go to, um, especially even when you have Bryce Williams still in at the, the point or the two. Um, just even more length. And, and defensive intensity of rebounding ability. It was, it was a great lineup. It's what, exactly what we needed to, to claw back. It definitely put the clamps on them and, and gave us an opportunity to, to start hitting some shots and make our way back into the game. And then finally, our, give, our giveaway winner for the Wisconsin Big Ten home win, Zach Jamar says, as Sandstorm hit, I knew there was a chance. Thanks for providing this platform. Being a fan of this team is a labor of love, and I'm thrilled to find a group of junkies to enjoy it with. Sam Hoiberg gets my MVP award tonight. Huge defense from him down the stretch. And again, we talked about Hoiberg and what a fantastic job defensively he did on Chucky Hepburn. So props to Sam Hoiberg. He always does Sam Hoiberg things. Affects uh, affects the entire game without having the balls ball in his hands. So a fantastic effort by him. But again, just want to say that we do this podcast for the fans. We do it as a uh, central hub of conversation, both good and bad, emotional high, emotional low of the ebbs and flows of the entire Nebraska basketball season. So we don't make any money off this. Any money we get is reinvested into marketing materials. So, I mean, there's no financial interest here. We just love doing it. We love creating the forum to share everybody's thoughts and opinions. Mike, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah. I, and I mean, I, th- I think I said it last night. It's funny. We just started out just shooting the shit talking with my buddy about Nebraska basketball and great to, you know, see as, as the comment there, you know, a bunch of other junkies that want to get in on it with us and always so grateful for the support. You know, we, we do this because we love it and we're fair, We're happy. You know, we found a, a community that, that loves Nebraska basketball just as much as us. It's kind of a special thing and couldn't ask for a better season to kind of kick it off um, and then get everybody hooked in. And it's, it's just been magical. And yeah, just, just so, so grateful for all the support from everybody. So thank you again for sharing your thoughts, everybody. If you do want to get involved, make sure you respond to our tweet at the end of every game that says, what were your thoughts? You can find it on our Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Pod on X. So uh, that being said, thank you for all for sharing your thoughts again. On the other side of the break, we will transition into our interview with renowned bracketologist T3. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. Okay, want to thank you all again for sharing your thoughts. Uh, thank you for tweeting your thoughts post game. Again, we love the interaction that's involved with our show, and it's kind of what keeps us going. So, always want to thank you guys for sharing your thoughts. Now, we have some actual qualified thoughts beyond what me and Mike can ever contribute. So, I want to welcome in a renowned uh, Twitter bracketologist T3, very highly uh, noted in the bracket matrix and whatnot. Uh, I'll give you the floor, T3, if you want to share a little bit about yourself and, and how you kind of got into this. Yeah, for sure. So I've been I've been uh, doing bracketology now since 2015. So this is going to be my technically 10th March Madness that I've been doing. But with the COVID year 2020, it's actually nine that are going to count because we didn't actually get an official bracket. But 
it's been a blast. It's really exciting to see Nebraska in the mix this year for sure. It's it's been a lot of fun. I think they make the Big Ten even better when they're good. So really excited to be on the show today and to be able to talk a little bit of Husker hoops. All right. So first of all, we don't hear that statement very much. So <laughs> we were excited when other people are excited yeah. about us. Sure. 2024 is a new year. It's a good time to get excited. <laughs> so let's get right into it, T3. Um, a lot of people are wondering what the Huskers' chances are with bracketology and kind of where we sit. Some of the Joe Lenardi stuff has us lower, closer to the bubble, and some others have the Huskers as high as a seven seed. Where are you feeling about the Huskers right now? Yeah, so I just had an update today, February 2nd. Uh, that had Nebraska 33rd overall, which is the top nine seed. I think for me, realistically, their range right now is a eight to 10. I feel like maybe a seven's getting a little bit too high just because of some of those predictive metrics like Ken Palm and BPI are still a little lower on Nebraska. And that's primarily because of only one road win, two combined wins away from home. That's going to end one of those combined wins, I think, is neutral over Oregon State. It's not really moving the needle, it's really just Kansas State. So if you get a couple more of those, that's not only going to boost your resume, but then it boosts the metrics, and that's what can get you to like a five, six, seven range. So I feel like eight to ten is fair to me because now you have Purdue and Wisconsin on the resume. Ten just feels a little harsh, and the predictive metrics have. Let's see here. I can have it over here. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's risen up decent enough. There's some teams that are in the 60s, and Nebraska's getting above that in Ken Palm and BPI. So. It feels like an eight nine is probably fair. I had him thirty third, but you could argue anywhere in the eight seed line too. So what it sounds like is we need to win one of these next two, and then we're we're good to go. Awesome. As, as far as that goes, you know we have you know Illinois game coming up, a huge quad one opportunity, and then Northwestern also on the road. Those are two massive games. My question, you know, down the stretch, Nebraska's got one of the easier schedules. Is it more important that the Huskers? win one of these big quad one opportunities or avoid a bad, you know, Q3 or, you know, a couple of Q3 losses down the stretch? I would say it's because I think some of the, if I remember correctly, your schedule, other than Northwestern and Illinois, the other road games are relatively winnable. I think it's like Indiana, Ohio State, and maybe Michigan in there. So losing at Ohio State's not bad. I think Indiana would be Q2. And then Michigan right now is Q2, but if they keep spiraling, who knows where that's going to end up by the end of this. I doubt they get below 135, honestly, but regardless, it's going to be close. But it, it's honestly just as important to get the easy home wins as it is for potentially one of the two road wins. But I would almost argue it's more important to just get those easy home wins in terms of like just making the tournament as like the first goal Nebraska wants to be in. Just don't like screw up and lose. <laughs> you could lose one of them and probably be fine, especially after last night. But you lose like two or three of those quad three home games. And now we're getting bubbly. You're maybe last four in, then you're really watching like every other team on the bubble, what they're up to. If you just take care of business in those home games, I don't think you're going to need to really pay attention to anybody else. Nebraska is going to be in. You could lose the next two games, win the home games and be fine, honestly. But winning one of those two road games coming up definitely can inflate the seed. And that's when we're talking a lot more of seven, six, getting away from that eight, nine game and having to play a one seed in the second round if you make it there. So as it sits right now, T3, the Huskers have three quad ones on the resume with a pending one, Kansas State, kind of on that borderline. They were in quad one territory for a while. They kind of slipped out of it after a couple tough losses. How many quad one wins do you think we need to have on the resume to feel safely in the tournament? I really, from like a safety standpoint, like I said, I don't really know if you need a ton more from a quad one perspective. I think even if like, I think right now, technically at Ohio State, is a quad one win if you were to get that. But even if you beat them and it drops off, I think it's just more of 
avoiding the bad losses, like we said, you know, don't pick up too many of those home games or lose too many of those home games. It would be quad three. And then just get like something else on the road. There's Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio State. At least one of those, which I don't think is too much to ask if you want to make the tournament to win one of those three. None of those three teams are, I guess, Indiana's kind of close-ish. They're under consideration. Ohio State and, and Michigan are nowhere near the field. But just something on there so it's not one road win. We rarely see teams make the field as an at-large team with only one or zero road wins. So it would just be good to get that monkey off and then avoid more than one bad loss. I don't think there's like a, hey, you need five quad one wins. We've seen teams get in with two. Notre Dame a couple of years ago, they finished second in the ACC, which conference standing is not too important, but they only had two quad one wins, and one of them was in the non-conference. I think it was to Kentucky that year. And they still got in last four in, and they even made a little bit of a run there too. So it's not really like a, hey, I need this many quad ones. It's just, it's good enough right now. Just don't screw up, go on like a five-game losing streak, and it gets bubbly. Again, I think last night really helped. I, and you mentioned, you know, conference rankings and, and, you know, the impact or lack thereof that they have. When it comes to conference tournament stuff, how does that kind of weigh in? Obviously, you know, you're going to get quads. Um, those are all neutral site games or whatever. How big of, uh, of a weight do you kind of give to, to conference tournament wins, losses, how, te- how deep a team goes when it comes to conference tournament games? Yeah, for sure. So I think the easiest way to put the conference tournament is what I've learned from the committee is that there is no consistency every single year. I think it's, it's definitely the case where last year I missed a seed with Marquette where I had, I kept them as my top three seed and they won the big East tournament Saturday night and they actually jumped them to a two. But in years prior, we saw them not honor those Saturday games at all because throughout the entire week, starting about Tuesday or Wednesday of conference tournament weeks so are really right in the beginning of when the big 10 usually starts. That's when they're starting to seed teams so they first go through, like, they select all the teams. They usually have a couple extra in there because you could have some bid thieves throughout the week. And then they're going to go through and they're going to see the ones, the twos. The, they keep going all the way down the list. So maybe they'll make a few tweaks here and there on Friday or Saturday. But I think it's really like that first conference tournament game that has a, a bigger weight, especially if Nebraska is more in, like, the double-digit 10-seed range. And it's like, hey, maybe we lost one of those home games we weren't supposed to. We didn't get one of those road games or maybe just got at Michigan you know, just to feel super safe and maybe even get to a single digit, let's just get one more neutral win. I think that could help. But the best way to think about it is it's very inconsistent. Obviously, if you stack like three in a row, you're going to see a seed boost. But the difference of maybe getting one win versus losing first round, as long as it's not to one of the, the teams over 100, because that would be a Q3 neutral loss, really varies year to year and also depends on what others are doing around you in other leagues. So let's talk best case scenario for the Huskers in this one. So we have obviously a couple tough road games, as we talked about coming up at Illinois and at Northwestern. But let's say in best case scenario, we would one of those two and we close down the final seven games on a six and one stretch. So let's call it seven and two finish. You're talking about 23 wins with another quad one win in there. What would you say that could get Nebraska to conversation wise in a seed line? I mean, you're definitely definitely above a nine, obviously, where I have them today, and I would say definitely above an eight. I think you're you're definitely at least talking a seven. Once you start to get in there, it, a lot of those teams in at least the top five seeds have started to really build great resumes, and like you're talking about, it's possible that you're only adding one more quad one win. If Kansas State kind of continues to flutter in the Big 12 and that stays Q2, you're staying something like probably four and four in Q1, which is definitely solid, but there's a bunch of teams up there that either already have four quad one wins or they have top 20 metrics and i just don't know if from a like a resume metric standpoint which would be strength of record and kpi i think nebraska could get there with a seven and two finish 
But those predictive metrics, I think, could keep them a little bit lower, where I'd probably say a six seed is what we're looking at with a seven and two finish. Just because other teams are going to lose, they might they might go 500. Not everyone's going to go seven and two to close out the year. You're finishing with zero bad losses, four quad one wins. You're probably maybe at like four quad two wins, maybe even five. So eight or nine total. I, I would probably make a guess of like around 23 to 26 overall on the seed list. So low six, high seven. If we're talking about, you know, bid thieves and stuff like that, bubble watch, is there any team that stands out to you that's kind of, you know, lurking around the bubble? I know, you know, I'd seen some brackets with, you know, Seton Hall being kind of sketchy. They have a lot of quad one opportunities. Is there any team that kind of stands out to you that Husker fans should maybe be aware of that might kind of influence where Nebraska ends up down the stretch? I would say, I mean, definitely always pay attention to the teams that are, especially if you're focused on seed. Cause like I said, I think Nebraska really controls their own destiny from making the tournament standpoint. It's just don't lose the games. You're not supposed to lose. And you could lose one of them. Just don't lose a bunch of those. But I think if you're talking about like a really good seed, I think you're looking at a few teams in the sec, like Ole Miss, South Carolina that have a very similar profile to Nebraska, where even better resume metrics, worse predictive metrics, and maybe a little bit more opportunities down the stretch. If they go on like a, six and three, even above 500, five and four, you're probably getting more than one quad one win the rest of the way and a, a little bit better road win. So in terms of like being able to get to a six seed, like we talked about, those are some teams. I would say the entire Mountain West seems to be hovering right around Nebraska. Boise State for me is one spot lower. New Mexico's on the eight line. Colorado State's the last seven. San Diego State, Utah State play this weekend. They're both in the mid sixes. So in terms of like getting to that ceiling, I think those are some teams, but if it does start to get dicey, I think from a bid thief perspective, it, it takes us to the last week of the season, and it's the Atlantic 10 and the American tournament. Right now, the American only has one team in for me. Some people still have Memphis in. They've just been falling apart. I, I don't think they have the resume at the, at the current moment to be in, but FAU feels like they're a pretty solid tournament team. And then the A-10, Dayton's going to make it for sure. I mean, they would have to probably lose out, maybe lose only win one more not to make it. But the odds of only one team that's in the mix actually winning the conference tournament is pretty tough to do, especially because neither of those are like West Coast Conference that has like a quadruple bye where you're automatically in the semifinal. They have a pretty standard, you're automatically in the quarterfinals type of scenario. So it's it's still tough to win three straight even as the favorite and you don't need to win it. So I would say if it does get to a point where you lose maybe two of those home games, you're seeing a lot of projections in the 10-11 range. I would definitely watch those two tournaments and root for FAU and Dayton to win because those would be guaranteed big thieves if they if they don't win. So Husker fans, I don't know how well-versed you are, but we always expect the worst. We've been tortured for decades on decades on decades. We have one tournament that. berth since 1998. Yeah. So the minimum of what Nebraska was expecting this year is to have a chance at a berth. So we've already kind of gotten to that point as we sit here today. I think Huskers were projected 13th or 12th in the Big Ten. So this has been a surprise yeah. season by all expected metrics, both in opinion and relatively true fact. That being said, what is the minimum that we have to do coming home on this home game uh, or home nine game stretch to just secure a bid in the tournament? Even if that's Dayton, I mean, what are we talking about what we have to do? It's always tough to talk about a minimum because you just don't know what other people are doing around you. But I would say just to give like a general rule of thumb because the schedule is easier, I would say it would be really nice to get one more road win. Like I said, it's rare to see a team get in with just one road win. So we'll even maybe call it the Michigan game. It's the, I think it's your last game of the season. They're really playing for nothing. They're, they're going to go into the Big Ten tournament knowing they have to win it. So a very good opportunity there, probably a half-full arena, get that win. 
and then probably lose no more than two of those home games. So that would probably put you at two Q3 losses. You would lose both these next two, Illinois and Northwestern, and then you would get a road win. And then I don't know how many of the home games there are in there, but I think it's probably like four and five, I would say. It's probably a good parameter where it's it's definitely dicey. You're adding a couple extra Q2s. You're probably like finishing four and five in Q2, three and five in Q1, so you're seven and 10, Q1, Q2. And your non-conference strength of schedules in the 300s, which isn't something that's really bothering Nebraska right now. But if you get really close to the bubble, we saw it last year with Rutgers and Clemson. They had non-conference strength of schedules over 300. They got left out despite really good wins. Rutgers even beat Purdue. So very similar to what Nebraska's done. So I, I would really want to avoid not having two of those. But I think for now, because of that win yesterday, if you lost two of those home games and then only won the road game against Michigan – that's probably the absolute worst, but you you might need a little bit of help and you don't want too many bid thieves either. So ideally you'd want to maybe only have one of those home losses, but again, it does vary a little bit of what is happening around the bubble too. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining us, T3. Really appreciate it. I think there's a lot of curiosity in the Nebraska general fandom because we're not used to being in these conversations. Absolutely, we don't really yeah. know what this is like. So to yeah. get some clarity on some different situations and what you think the Huskers need to do from obviously a verified factual source, as, as least, like I said, much more factual than we could ever contribute, uh, I think is a huge advantage to, to our listeners and, and the Husker basketball fans in mass. So thanks again for joining us. Uh, obviously, I hope we can get you on the, the show again at some point a little later, hopefully talking about, you know, if we can get to that six seed. So we'll see yeah. how we end up. But again, want to thank you for myself and Mike for joining us on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And yeah, let me know as it gets later in the year. Obviously, some of these projections feel good for me today. But as the bubble picture continues to kind of go through the mix, we can obviously have a better prediction later in February. So looking forward to that and uh, enjoy the games this weekend. Thanks again, T3. On the other side of the break, we will get you into our Illinois preview. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. Okay, Mike, I want to thank T3 again for joining us on an interview. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Hopefully the Huskers can continue playing well down the stretch and secure their first tournament bid since 2014. Hard to believe it's already been a decade since Tim Miles won on no-sit Sunday. But we are trending the right direction, so let's make sure that we finish off the job well. And that next stop on that journey is in Champaign, Illinois. The Illinois uh, Fighting Illini are 16-5 on the year, 7-3 in conference. Ken Palm has them at the 10th overall best team. Net rankings have them at 12, and they are number 14 in the AP poll. Currently, as we sit here today, they are third in the Big Ten standings. Notable wins for the Illini include number 17, Michigan State at home, 71 to 68. Number 43, Northwestern at home in a thrashing 96 to 66 victory. And number 28, Florida Atlantic, last year's uh, March Madness Cinderella Darlings, beat Florida Atlantic on a neutral court, 98 to 89. Notable losses for the Illini include number 52, Maryland at home, 76 to 67, which is a pretty big shocker at the time. Almost the Big Ten shocking upset of the year thus far, uh, if not Nebraska beating Purdue. Uh, number 14, Marquette at home, 71 to 64 earlier in the year. And number two, Purdue on the road, 83-78. So they almost got it done up in Mackey. So Mike, from a bird's eye view, what do you see in this Illinois team that we should get ready for? I mean, it's a lot like what I said uh, against uh, Wisconsin, you know, great team, obviously, you know, 10th and Ken Palm, um, hyper-efficient offense, fifth in the country. Um, overall, if you're talking just conference play, they're, they're fourth in conference. But the interesting thing about that offense is 
that's a lot of ISO, right? So they don't get a lot of assists per, per their field goal made. You know, they're 313th in the country in assists per field goal made. So it's going to be a lot of one-on-one ISO ball, things of that nature. But they shoot the two well. They shoot the three pretty decently, 34%. They shoot free throws pretty well. You know, they're 73% there. Um, but but when you look at it, the big thing that stands out to me is how long this team is. Eighth in the or ninth in the country in average height, so very long. You think that would lend to, you know, hands in the passing lanes and turnovers, but they don't generally generate a lot of turnovers. But that doesn't mean that they're not effective with their length. Um, very good defensive team, you know, 31st overall uh, in defense, third in the conference. So all around great team. Obviously, you mentioned they're third in the Big Ten. I think with the Nebraska win over Wisconsin last night, the Illinois, you know, they, they control their own destiny now. They get another chance uh, against Purdue and Wisconsin down the stretch. So they're, they're, you know, in the driver's seat to win the Big Ten if they take care of business, what they need to do. So obviously, anytime you're playing a team at the top of the conference, they're going to be pretty, you know, well-rounded and they do what they do and they do it well. And they have a couple guys that stand out and it starts point blank period with their small forward, Terrence Shannon Jr., a first team all Big Ten player last year and a second team national preseason All-American averaging 24, 20 points, four rebounds and three assists, shooting 48% from the field, 36% from three. He's the third leading scorer in the Big, Big Ten, Mike. He's going to be an absolute handful, obviously going through some legal troubles, but he does have uh, ability to play right now via some kind of court injuncture or whatever may be going on there. I'm not fully plugged in. Uh, elsewhere, their point guard, Marcus Domask, a 6'6 senior, averaging 16, 5, and 3, shooting 45% from the field, only 24% from three, so not a threat beyond the arc. He's a grad transfer from, from Southern Illinois, and he's number one in the conference in minutes percentage. So uh, the guy does not come off the floor much. It looks like they may not have another great on-ball guard that they can go to. And then finally, they have uh, Coleman Hawkins, a 6'10 senior for them, uh, shooting, sorry, averaging 12, 6, and 2, shooting 43% from the field, 37 percent from three can hurt you in a lot of ways and he can stretch the defense as he's a pretty good perimeter shooter he was on the the uh, i forget what the name of the player is but he was on the list for the power forward of the year watch list at the, at the beginning of the year and mike it extends beyond that they have a bunch of good players uh quincy guerrier i think is how you say his name averaging 11 and 8 they've got justin heron averaging uh, seven and three i mean they've got a couple bench guys getting seven points these guys can score in a lot of different ways I think, you know, you listed off their, their top players there, you know, between Shannon Domask, Hawkins and Gurrier, they're all averaging over 10 points. So they got plenty of guys that can fill it up. It's going to be imperative that the Huskers, you know, bring the defensive intensity and, and have a good game plan because this is a team that they're a lot faster. It's, it's going to be a change of pace from Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin likes to use pretty much the whole shot clock if, if, they have the ability and, and look for the perfect shot almost. But this team plays at a much quicker tempo, you know, 75th nationally in tempo. If you're talking conference, it's fifth in conference. So uh, definitely on the upper half, they're going to want to, you know, play relatively quick. And, and that's on both sides. You know, they're kind of middle of the road on, on offense, but on defense, they're going to try to generate or get you moving faster than you want almost. They you know they give up pretty quick defensive possessions, but they still play great defense. So they generate and they force a lot of tough shots. I think a lot of length has to do with that. So for me, this game comes down to the defensive intensity that the Huskers bring. If they can replicate what we've seen at PBA time and time again, if they can replicate what we saw, you know, in Minnesota in the first half on the road, you know, they have it in them, but they just got to put it together for, you know, two 20 minute halves um, and starts on the defensive end for me. 
Yeah, Mike, and speaking over to the offensive side of the ball, expanding on what you said earlier, they're not great shooters. They're sixth in the conference in three-point shooting and tenth in the conference in two-point shooting, but yet they're fifth nationally and fourth in the conference in offensive efficiency. That is all buoyed by their strength in offensive rebounding. They're 16th nationally and second in conference in offensive rebounding. They take great care of the ball. They're fourth in the conference in offensive turnover percentage and second in the conference in offensive steal percentage. And Mike, they play a ton of iso ball, as Fred mentioned in one of his press conferences. They try to find one-on-one matchups where they have an advantage and they take advantage of them at every opportunity, which is so fascinating because they are last. They're dead last in assists per field goals made. So, they just ISO you up and, and they just attack. Yeah, their their go-to is just out-athlete. They're going to find the mismatch they like. They're going to clear out and and just let their athletes go to work, whether that's Shannon or or Domask or whoever it is. They're just going to let them do what they want to do um, with the ball in their hand. They're, you know, you're not going to see a lot of sets and drawn-up plays necessarily to, to get the ball, a guy coming off a curl or something to get a shot. A lot of ISO ball, as you mentioned, you know, great – Great rebounding team. They take care of the ball well. The one thing that stood out to me as well is free throws. They're pretty good at getting to the line. They're third in conference in free throws attempted per field goal attempted. So not only do they play a lot of iso ball, but when they do, they're they're generating contact. They're caught, They're getting fouls, and they're getting to the line. So that's something to look out for as well. What will also challenge the Huskers on Illinois' defensive side is they play very clean on-ball defense. They're eighth nationally and first in the conference in defensive assists per field goal made, so they shut your offense down. And they're 11th nationally and second in the conference in defensive free throws attempted per field goals attempted. So, again, they play very clean. They do not allow you to shoot free throws. And they really lock down the three-point line in general. They're super efficient. They're 15th nationally and third in conference in defensive effective field goal percentage. They're third in the conference in defensive adjusted efficiency. And Mike, again, speaking of the three-point line, they're fifth nationally and first in the conference in defensive three-point attempts per field goal attempt. And as you mentioned, along with that, they're the ninth tallest roster in the in the NCAA. So they're going to chase you off the three-point line, force you to go into the trees that they have down low and, and say, beat us down low and, and let's see if you can pull it off. And to this point, not many have as Illinois, again, sporting a number 14 ranking in the AP poll. So Mike, Ken Palm has this projected to an 83-74 Illinois win, Torvik 85-74 Illinois win. So let's put this spread at Illinois minus 10. Which way are you lean in here? Yeah, I, uh, that's, it's real tough. It's real tough for me because we're riding high off this big Wisconsin win. But, you know, lurking in the shadows is the ever-present road woes um, that, that the Huskers have had all season. Uh, 10's a lot. Uh, this is a really good team, obviously. After Nebraska, they have a they have a seven day. They have a whole week basically to prep for their next game. So not really a look ahead spot. They're not too worried about the game after us. So I think they're going to be pretty keyed in. Obviously, the big win over Wisconsin kind of puts a target on us. You know, I'm sure Brad Underwood's getting the guys well aware of you know this Nebraska team's good enough to beat anybody. So you got to bring your A game. I think they'll be pretty keyed in. It's a Sunday home game. I'm sure the crowd will be pretty raucous. I, I do like Illinois winning. 10 is a lot, and I think they're probably going to cover it. I'd see, you know, I think they're going to score pretty easily. I think they're going to shut us down on the three-point line. It's really good. It's They're really good at that. That's what they want to do. Um, we talked about their length already. I think it's going to be, you know, an 80 to 68, 80 to 67, somewhere in there. Um, Huskers just can't keep up, keep up on the offensive end. We're not going to shoot well enough to keep up with them, and they're going to, you know, ISO us to death, basically. 
I'm also going to take Illinois, Mike. I think rebounding is their strength, and we we have proven via enough data at this point that rebounding on the road has been our weakness in the Maryland game and the Rutgers game and so on and so forth, and this is a very talented rebounding team. Uh, They're best in the conference in preventing three-point shots, and we lead the conference in three-point attempts, so I don't know how that's going to translate. Something's going to have to give. Either we're going to shoot a ton and make them, or shoot them enough, period. I don't know. They don't even let you shoot them. You know, so that's a, a... a two strength matchup. So we'll see which way that one goes, but really Mike, this is just a huge letdown spot. Nebraska played a very heart invested, emotionally invested overtime court storm game here against a top 10 opponent. And they have a two day rest for another top 20 road matchup. Uh, meanwhile, Illinois, as you mentioned on five day rest at home, coming off back to back wins, a team that is building some momentum and feels good about themselves right now. That being said, we've talked about Illinois and the national media has as well at their peak when they're playing at their finest. This is a final four caliber team with some of the pieces that they have. So this is going to be a bear of a matchup. The situation obviously not playing in the Huskers favor whatsoever coming off a big emotional win. Obviously always better than coming off an emotional loss, but (laughs) the situation is just set up just horrifically for the Huskers in this one. And some of that's out of their control. I'm going to predict a, an 83-67 to 67 Illinois win here, having the Fighting Illini cover by a couple points. So that being said, that will wrap up our Illinois preview. We will get you out of here on the other side of the break. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. All right, Mike. Well, I don't. This Illinois matchup is going to be a really tough one, but thank God we got the Wisconsin game because, in the realm of talking about pods of the season, as we break it down uh, into little three and four game stretches, now that we got the first one in this very difficult three game stretch, these two are kind of almost treated as lottery tickets in my mind. Yeah, you know, you go on the road, you do your best. Obviously, we've struggled on the road, but um, if there's ever a time to break that and get the first win, I'd say it's one of these next two. Hopefully. The- Hopefully it's this next one, frankly, um, and hopefully it's both. But, yeah, it's it's going to be a tough matchup these next two. As you mentioned, it's a lottery ticket. Um, if you don't win either, it's tough. You'd love to win one, um, but but nothing really hurt if you don't win either. If you get a win in one of these, it's it's big. It's going to catapult your entire season. Your resume is going to look incredibly better as far as, you know, tournament and dancing and all that all that stuff. So excited to see what this Illinois matchup brings. I think it's a pretty tough matchup. They're a great team. We saw the the coaching and the adjustments in the second half for the Wisconsin game, and hopefully they get a good game plan and and they can implement it and um, the boys ball out in Champaign. And I want to prep everybody right now for what this spread is going to be. I imagine the spread will be every bit of 10. That would lead you to believe that Nebraska is probably not going to win this game. So I want to make sure that everybody has a level head going into this. We're most likely not going to win this game. So I don't want, I want to try to limit the damage here. I don't want anybody's freaking out if we lose by 15, 16. Guys, that's probably the expectation. Let's hope that obviously, you know, we play a very tight game. I'm just hoping that we have a shot in this one in the last, in the, the U4 in the second half. If we're within striking distance, call it four or five points with four minutes to go. That's a great spot to be, guys. This is going to be, again, the matchup just sets up so horrifically and the timing of it sucks as they're on rest at home and we have to travel on short rest. It's a tough situation all around, but let's hope that the Huskers can can continue the toughness that Fred has brought in practice and emphasized a halftime of the Wisconsin game and parlayed into a huge top 20 road win. So make sure to follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Pod for any updates in regards to Nebraska basketball bracketology roster updates, injury updates, anything that pertains to the Nebraska basketball team we share on there as we see fit. 
uh, on Instagram at Scarlet Shoe Pod as well. We share anything halfway related to the podcast and uh, how it ties into uh, Nebraska basketball as well on there in the image side of things. And then make sure to follow us on Apple Spotify so you never miss an episode we release after every game. So we try to keep the content flowing to you guys as best as you can. And on YouTube at Scarlet Shoe Pod as well. Mike posts a video podcast over there. Thank God he does it. I can't edit a video to save my life. So he takes care of the YouTube side of it. So um, if you prefer the video podcast, that's where to go. So that being said, that's wrap up everything we got here for Blake or for Mike and myself, Blake. Go Big Red. Go Big Red, baby. <laughs>